to District Divided, a DC sports podcast. I am Amith. That is KDOT. Last episode, we had Paul. Vikings fan can't have him on because we just lost. So Paul's not here. But KDOT's here. I'm here. And we're here to talk you through the devastating defeat that was the Commanders falling at home to the Minnesota Vikings 20-17 to against former quarterback of ours, Kirk Cousins. You like Mr. that? Mr. You like that. Mr. Kirk Thuggins, according to Pardon My Take. Kirk Go is his alter ego. Any number of things. We're here to talk about the commanders. So 2017 loss. KDOT, first off, how are you doing, as always? And then after that, hit us with your initial thoughts on this game. Well, um, as always, Mr. Medium, the guy who, while I do go on rants every once in a while, usually you see my biggest takes for stuff that even outside the realm of football, right? It is still victory Monday for your boy right here because Dan Snyder's on his way out. So keep things in perspective, people. Got to keep things in perspective. But yes, I am. Um, I'm doing well on this Monday, even though that was a tough, tough loss, a tough pill to swallow yesterday. Sorry, I had to. I had to find my mute button. I was like, normally, I was like, why is it not? I was pressing it multiple times. Um, Twenty to seventeen. It was a bit of a low scoring game. When you see the Vikings opening drive, they are humming, right? Seven, nothing easy. Jefferson, I think at that point, 48 yards on four catches and a touchdown. looks like he's in for a big day, ends up with a big day. Yep. Uh, 115, I want to say 115 yards and a touchdown on seven yeah. catches. Yep. There it is. Um, let's start with your thoughts on the defense. Jamin Davis with the highest pro football focus grade on the team. So shout out Jamin Davis, Great who game. continues to show tremendous improvement. Again, Cole Holcomb out, David Mayo out, Jamin steps up. We allow 20 points the rest of the way after that first possession. I thought the defense did a very good job. I'm just going to drop that sort of sparks note, spark notes version, excuse me, over there. What were your thoughts on the defense, KDOT? Defense looked pretty decent at times. Um, like uh, St. Juice had himself a pretty good game, except for that uh, pass interference there in the end. Um, and like everybody wants to say, it was pass interference. You you want them not to call it because they were playing physical yesterday. It was tight, though. You can it understand. It's yeah. a, it's, it was the right call, even if the, 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 the mode of the game and the way they were playing it, it was tough because we've seen them do worse and get away with it in that game. So... It's just they were calling it unevenly is probably the most you can go with it. Um, Davis stood out. This is the game more than any other game where there were play after play. You were like, ooh, is that Davis? Ooh, is that Davis? Which felt good. Interior of the line, Deron Payne, John Allen still doing their thing, right? Montez Sweat had a few amazing-looking moments. I mean, everybody did. On the defense, there were a lot of places in which you said, All right, okay, there's some guys. We got some guys, right? Cam Curl, a couple plays. Uh, also, Cam Curl, a couple misplays. But it's but you've been the number one rated safety like in football. So you, you, you can have an off day, right? Um, 
Yeah, it was just it, the defense is still being solid. And especially after that first drive in which it just looked like, holy shit, this might be blowout territory. But it's like our boy Paul or got Paul said when Andy, when uh, when Kevin O'Connell and those guys have the script, the first 15 plays or so of the game thought of him when he said that. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, the thing that stood out more to me than anything else was I didn't know what the fuck Minnesota was doing past that first drive. You I know, just couldn't understand what they what what they were trying to get done. I would imagine that was something Paul was alluding to as well, because at the first 15, so good and they're winning all these one score games and they did it again. Well, then there is some thought to what happens after that. Like, why does it right. get so real? And I wanted to just shout out the defense for we talked about Dalvin Cook, right? In games where they win, he's getting about five yards a pop. He got two point eight. Like that is That's literally what. Philadelphia did. It was 17 carries for 47 yards. They stuck with it. Credit to Minnesota for that. But I thought the defense did a very good job across the board, stopping the run. And after that first possession, I thought they did enough to win the game. In fact, they gave Heineke a chance until the special teams gaffe from a rookie, unfortunately, John Ridgeway, who ends up contacting the center. That was actually news to me, KDOT. Um, even though it intuitively made sense that the center is a defenseless player in the case of a field goal attempt. I don't think that's as well known a rule uh, to the casual fan and even those that are a bit more. I didn't realize it was that like seeing the center knocked over was a bit of a surprise to me because I was like, I don't see that very often, but I didn't realize it was immediately a personal foul. It's immediate if you hit him immediately. You which can is touch what Ridgeway did. That's the which point, is what right? Ridgeway did. You yeah. can touch the center. You can touch the snapper. It's just you can't do it immediately. Yeah. And the the biggest glaring thing that came out of it was that in the uh, press conference or the post game, um, or since the game has had Ron Rivera said the Ridgeway did exactly what he was coached. Uh, you know, and there were some questions about coaching down the stretch over there, Kato. So I mean th- that that to me, as far as the Ridgeway thing was glaring, but this this goes all the way back to Pee Wee. You can't touch him, at least yeah. not immediately. Like if you're going to do something, you can scheme something up, but that's that's why you hardly ever see that penalty because everybody kind of universally played football, at least on special teams, knows it's the one thing you can't do. Well, the two things you can't do: don't hit the guy kicking whatever football is happening. And don't don't knock up because you can blow up that snap snapper at any given point in time. You can't you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I it, it's tough because it's the day after we're we're hurting a little bit because of the loss. Uh, again, Dan Snyder selling the t- amazing news. Jay Glazer confirmed it. Rap sheet has more or less confirmed it as well. This is meant to be a wholesale, which is great. But at the end of the day, we still lose the game. Kind of want to chalk it down to just a rookie mistake, and then you talked about it in the post game, where he's like, "Hey, Ridgeway did what he was coached to do." That is alarming. Um, but overall, that's defense, that's special teams. Can we talk about Taylor Heineke doing something I've never seen another quarterback do? Huh. Scouting referee movements to know that their safety was going to hit the referee based on that backpedal. And allow Curtis Samuel the opportunity to score that touchdown. I mean, you talk about Heineke magic. And I think you can point to that play and say, this guy gets it. Not only is he looking at the defensive film, he's looking up who's refereeing this game. What are their sort of moving patterns? And let's just give this a fucking shot. And I mean, what a spectacular play to Curtis Samuel. Okay, Doc. Uh... 
That was a terrible throw. No, no, it was a terrible decision. That was the worst decision. <laughs> it worked out pretty well. Once again, Taylor Heineke just proving that you, you got enough balls to just do shit that nobody's expecting. Sometimes it works out for you. When no, I that, saw that throw, the moment I was like, oh, it left his hands God. and they showed the guys. I'm like, no, <laughs> what? <laughs> he was there were three guys back there. And if it wasn't for the ref, this is absolutely an interception. Once again, that wasn't Terry McLaurin going for the deep one. That was Curtis. So anyway, a hell of a play by Curtis. Dragging the ball and then uh, with the wherewithal to back into the end zone. Amazing job. The decision itself was a piss poor decision. It was a terrible decision. And then think about the situation. Second half, first series, you're trying to make something happen. Oh, he Was it third happen. down? I don't, I don't think it was even third down. down a distance it was, but he <laughs> let it fly. It was fun. But it's what makes Heineke Heineke. That's what we love him for. I mean, like it, it's it's moments like that. Honestly, there's something to him. It is it's, magical. It's that it, is genuinely magical. It's genuinely magical, and it's genuinely one of the reasons I can absolutely say. Yeah, it was second down. <laughs> I can absolutely say when I when I when, when I'm sure it'll be in the common mailbag when. Widge wear your helmet at wants to ask about why, why we still talk about Carson Wentz. It's because of that. <laughs> it's because of that. He can't. It was a terrible. Like it, it just it happened to work out. But he has one of those plays every game. One of those ill-advised throws every game that just so happens to get in there. And it's like, can I just the fuck the gods are on your side, Taylor. So here's the uh, here's the drive summary. So. Antonio Gibson returns it to the Washington 48. First and 10 at the Washington 48. Great return to set the tone and stuff like that. Um, first and 10 at the Washington 48. Brad Robinson runs for three yards. Second and seven. Taylor Heineken throws a touchdown pass to Curtis Samuel, where the safety r- runs right into the referee. And I mean, you talk about setting a tone. I mean, that absolutely electric but i'm agreeing with you i was just having some fun with it like it was it was insane it was uh, you're in you have the best field position you absolute insane play that, that it was one. insane but it was so i uh, pull back um i was over at a buddy's house watching the game and uh at halftime it was me and uh the three other guys watching the game. so we we at halftime i wanted to have a cigarette so i got outside and, uh, somebody brings out a football and they're playing catch then I threw a terrible throw, and I realized I, I don't want to do this anymore, so I went back inside because it's halftime, so I'm going to go back in. Yeah, and I yeah. go back in, and it's I literally see Antonio Gibson catch the football. The game's back on. And um, then you see the series of stuff that happens. It's, le- it's less than a minute into the second half that all this shit goes down. It's mm-hmm. fourteen. It's like 14-10 when he throws the ball. When the guys came back in, what happened? And I, they're on a commercial break, and I explained. They, can't, they, they refused to believe me. It's, it was that crazy. It was the most insane series I've seen in quite some time. But that's on them for taking a break when Heineke has the football. Oh, no, I'm still of the idea that they should have stayed the fuck outside because they cost us the game. But uh, I, I would agree with that. I would also agree with that. That may be something we discuss after the pod. But, I mean, it, it was crazy. Okay, so but aside from that play, yep. which was a lot of fun, we enjoyed it, stuff like that. What did you make of the Washington offense against this Vikings defense? Because... When we were talking to Paul, we said, hey, it's going to be difficult to run against these guys, but 
and you had mentioned it too, this is Heineke's time to shine against a suspect pass defense. So what did you make of the performance against this Vikings defense? He didn't shine. The, the, the moment was for him to take the full command of the team. And this is the reason why, no matter how much he can be the leader in the locker room, no matter how much everybody might believe in him, if you have to put the ball squarely in his hand over the course of a game and say you've got to carry us through this entire thing, it's almost an impossibility. Um, it, you have to have the run game working, right? You have to have the defense playing it at, at, at full tilt because he's going to fuck up at some point in time. And it's like everything has – the way that we play is it, it, it leaves you zero room. It's zero errors. There, the, you, you leave like no space for errors in the way that we play games if you're going to win them, right? And that was the thing. Taylor is – it was some of the worst I've seen him this season. The checkdowns that he didn't take, the sacks that he took, they didn't make a lot of sense. Um not moving, not the pocket presence that he's usually so good at having. I just didn't see it. He looked scared in the pocket at times uh, this game. And I really was looking at it and looking at the same. I was like, These, they're not breathing on your back, bud. Calm down. Like, yeah. calm down, set your feet, and make the throw. And it was like, it almost felt like this was a, I don't think this, this game is indicative of what Taylor is capable of doing because I saw him make improvements this season compared to what I saw last season, right? But that game was like one of those, holy shit, bud. What what happened? What got in your head? Maybe yeah. the height? Well, I don't know. Maybe, but also I, I'm going to go ahead and say, like, you know, we've talked about Carson a whole lot on this pod, and we'll do Wentz versus Heineke in a moment. But, like, you know, we, we've given passes to Carson, and this was Heineke's first loss as a starter of the season. And, yeah, he did regress a little bit in this performance. But overall, you listen to Rivera, which I was surprised by in the post game. He said he thought Taylor did pretty well. He had a couple examples where he didn't do that well, but I honestly didn't think Taylor was that good this game. I do think his pocket presence was lacking. It seemed like he was almost running into pressure, which is very anti Taylor, if you will. Right. Like normally this, that's what Carson does. <coughs> Just like this dude for as talented as he is runs into pressure. Like it's nobody's business. It almost felt like we had Carson in Taylor's body minus the arm strength. Yep. It was just like, what is going on here? In fact, if you think about the touchdown throw to Curtis Samuel, I could see Carson making that same fucking throw. I mean, I have because you think about his time at Indianapolis, he would throw it into triple coverage. I would think that ball would probably do. sails over everybody, though. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So at least we got seven points out of it. Like that. So to me, I go, yeah, it sucked. It's frustrating. But I think the thing we love about Taylor is that he provides a certain degree of unpredictability as well as he fires everybody up. So I chalk it down as a, hey, it sucked. It did. We noticed the limitations more than ever because it's easy to do so when you're talking about a backup QB. But um, you can see the team still absolutely loves him. He's got yeah. an opportunity here coming up Monday night against an undefeated Philadelphia team. I'm so curious to see what that looks like. Um, but on the subject of Wentz and Heineke, uh, let's let's just go there. What are your thoughts moving forward? So Heineke now 2-1 as a starter. Played reasonably well overall, especially for a backup, right? Played well. But let's say that we have a record where we're still competitive, right? And Carson gets the all clear from the docs. Everyone's saying he looks good in practice. Let's say. What do you do? Like... Carson got put on IR. He can't come back for the Philly game, even though from everything I'm hearing, he could 
if he needed to. Um, so, yeah, he has to sit out the Philly game. So it's the next game that he can come back is that Texans game. What that also coincides with is the 70% mark that we needed in order for that draft pick for the Colts to be a third rounder, not a second rounder. Um, unless Taylor Heineke goes out there on Monday Night Football and has one of those performances like he did maybe against Tampa Bay last year, playoff or two years ago in playoffs, he has one of those lights out game. It's over. It's it, it's Taylor. We understand. We get it. We love you. You're an amazing dude that can inspire this team. It's Carson Wentz's show again. And that's just period point blank. It's look. Taylor is a dude that we all root for the moxie, everything else. But you also got to look at when it came to Carson Wentz and the games that he started, Look, you can look at PFF even. There is not one statistic that Taylor Heineke is doing better than Carson Wentz has, period. There's none. Like, there, if you're going PFF, if you're going uh, PFF. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think PFF is good in many ways, but also, like, they just came out with an article talking about how Justin Fields is worse than Zach Wilson. And let's be real, that is not true. I don't know. Zach Wilson and the teams that New York has beat, when you start looking at that, it's kind of crazy. Um so the if you look at like the winning record the New York New York Jets teams have played they're the only team I think in the NFL we're talking like, specifically but just that's the thing with PFF play. the thing that PFF does right. is also take into account your strength of opponent this that and the other right the guys yeah. that you have around you which is the other thing I'm looking at with Carson Wentz is Carson Wentz the first how many weeks of this season was throwing the ball forty something times a game. There were 40-something dropbacks that he was that he had to do. We never got over 100 yards in rushing in the first three weeks. And even beyond that point, like what Chicago – like, yeah, hold on. Let me pull this shit up. Because it's – Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Pull yeah, you up. look at the, – the first time we get over 100 yards is, that, is the Cowboys game, the 142. But those first three weeks, not a – then the Tennessee Titans game, we get 43 yards rushing, and – Carson actually threw for 342 yards. So in terms of overlap with Brian Robinson, which has seen us Huge. also get a reinvigorated Antonio Gibson. That, yep. So you have a fresh Gibson, which also the way it seems as though the 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 Scott Turner's doing it is first half Robinson, second half Gibson. Don't necessarily agree with that, but it feels as though that's what's happening. But that wasn't um, true last week because they started off with Gibson. Right, they started off so with Gibson. It, it, but I don't like the half. Screw this half shit. You need to start spelling these guys differently. Completely agree. Um, but even beyond that, look at the amount of offensive line configuration that Carson Wentz had to have. There were every week that he went out, there was a different configuration of the offensive line. Like there was no, there was no rhyme of fucking uh, them being solid or us knowing what it is they had. There was no unit for him to even gel with, and they weren't good. That offensive line, like as much as we knew Carson was absolutely holding on the football entirely too long. But I almost think that, like, if I'm playing devil's advocate to a certain degree, it's almost like he was trying to have faith in those guys to, like, all right, they'll, they'll protect me just a little. But I, I don't know. But it's like yeah. it's it's Taylor has had this offensive line has been pretty much the same the last few weeks, right? Mm -hmm. They've had Gibson be the guy that can spell Robinson, who's the bell cow, right? Um, been good that way. The only thing that Heineke hasn't had is Dotson. But beyond that, like – what like I, I I look at Carson I'm like okay I know Carson has better tools than Taylor does I know he doesn't have the same moxie that Taylor has but can I at least if we've spent this much to go get this dude does it make just sense from a responsibility standpoint 
to see what he does when the team's work when the team has its best complement of uh, of weapons. And I'm going to go ahead and counter that and say I think we have seen enough of Carson because we see him miss consistently high even when there's no pressure. I mean, look, we've we, seen Taylor just can't complete a ball, can't can't throw a but ball. But when have I? But I'm not saying that he is the guy. I'm saying neither is right. So like, yeah. I'm pivoting more towards a Sam Howell at this point, where I go, if it's between Taylor and a QB. I don't think it's between Taylor and Carson anymore. I think it is between Taylor and Sam because I think you look at it long-term. We talk about long-term. You talk about long-term. Yep. If that's going to be the case, then let's look towards the future because I personally feel I have seen more than enough from a Carson Wentz over here to know mentally he's just not going to be the same. And I hate to say that, but I think it's true. And if that's going to be the case... What's the point? You may as well give it to the kid when he looks more ready. Otherwise, stick with Taylor. The fans enjoy it more. Ron has the built-in excuse. Carson may not be ready. And then he could say, we're building towards the future. We've seen enough. Because I think we have seen enough. Do you really think it's going to change? I don't know. But the, the point of it is, is that you've made the investment. We're here now. It's not much of an investment when we look at it. The investment is here in the sense of the draft, in the sense of the, the the amount of money that you gave up that you could not go and sign anybody and you else. You can cut him off for free at the end of the season. Yeah, so but you also the have, the, but you also have the also opportunity where he's going into the second year of a contract where if he does show something that you make things kind of interesting in the sense that you maybe have a bridge quarterback for another year because you can hold him another year. So let's assess the probability that he actually shows is. something. What is the likelihood that he shows something? That's what I'm saying is the likelihood that he shows something with an offensive line. That's actually the one that, that, that is, is going to stick with better. Them. What is the offensive line playing better? Absolutely. The offensive line has played better as Taylor's the, playing better. And no, he's allowing Taylor, this offensive Taylor line to play Heineke, better. Taylor Heineke and what he's able to do as far as his pocket presence and getting rid of the football, as far as the check downs and things like that has absolutely done things through the quarterback position to make the offensive line better. Right to, okay. to 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 make sure that that stat line, as far as shit that the offensive line would get blamed for, there there he's getting he's better than that. The thing that Carson Wentz has done early on this season was holding on the football too entirely long and not taking the checkdowns when he needed to. Instead of taking the checkdown, what was he doing? Either throwing the ball entirely away or taking the sack. Right, those two mm -hmm. things. Like his sack numbers, what was it through like the first few weeks of this season? He's at like twenty some sacks. Taylor Heineke was like 38 all last season, like the off the charts as far as what Carson Wentz was doing as far as getting sacks. But I still recall you every time that we watch the commanders play, what is the stat that they always bring up? How many configurations of the offensive line that we've had to deal with, right? It is hard in this league to have anything really happen if you don't have consistency coming from the offensive line. Then not to mention, we didn't have the full complement of Brian Robinson, the guy who has basically changed the identity of the offense when you have the bell cow and you have what, you, what you've been having as far as the change of Gibson. Carson hasn't had that. We have not been, we weren't able to run over a hundred yards with Carson. What I'm saying is that the rest of the team has gotten better over time. I think the lot of, I think the, the young guys, the young weapons of the skill position have yeah. gotten better. Armani Rogers looks amazing. God damn it. They need to give him the football. The yeah. running game is there. And the offensive line finally has a configuration that's working. Yeah, but here's the thing, K-Dot. How often do you play in perfect conditions? But my you point don't. is that, but here's so, the point. So but if here's, he's not going to work. I'm it, I'm it, I'm it. Go out. ahead. What round was Sam Howell drafted? Fifth round. 
He's a fifth round draft pick that everyone that has seen him in practice, in training camp, and everything else says mechanics are terrible. They're not there yet. I and he's not ready. Going to push back. He's not on Logan Paulson even today. Terrible. Logan Paulson even today said the dude is clearly not ready. Now, yeah, you not ready. Do, I'm not saying hang, throw hang him on, in. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, okay. okay. So what I'm saying is, I'm just looking at right now. Everybody wants to have these high and thick. Right now, the, the situation is Taylor Heineke is a starting quarterback next week against Philadelphia. Why? Because yes. Carson Wentz can't come back. After that, if we don't win against Philadelphia, then the only decision to make is to put Carson Wentz back in the driver's seat, period. Now, if we still lose out, then what you need to do in the last few games of the season is see what Sam Howell can do. We both said that. If we are eliminated from the yeah. playoffs, if you've got two or three weeks left in the season, you put Sam Howell in. But what you don't do, what a lot of franchises do, what we've done is you drag the young guy out with a team that's clearly just not that great, whether it be because of the coaching staff or anything else. And trust me, I gotta let, we haven't even talked about the coaching staff, really. You're going to throw that dude out there, Right. And just potentially destroy any chance of a career that he might have mm -hmm. because he's not ready. Okay. So let me just push back for a moment and say I'm not ever, ever under any circumstance saying throw him out when he's not ready. I've always said throw him out when he's ready. What I'm saying is that this team plays better to me with Taylor. We've just noted that Jahan Dotson's not been playing and he's two and one. Kate, I'll let you speak. And if that is going to be the case, right, that we have a quarterback here where the team is more energized around him. We talk about the Moxie. You talk about tools. Moxie's part of the toolkit. If he enables people to play with more emotion and play with more passion, stuff like that, I've seen enough of the other guy. I'm talking about Carson once here. I've seen enough that if we're not going to have perfect conditions all the time, because no team does, then I've seen enough. If he's always going to have perfect conditions, then sure, maybe he is one of the greatest ever. But like, it just isn't going to be the case. There is always going to be someone hurt. There is going to be a revolving door. He holds on to it too long. There has been enough there, in my opinion. I mean, heck, for New England, we saw Bailey Zappi just control a game. It's as simple as that. He didn't need to do all these insane things. What was he? A fourth-round pick. So it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're a fifth-round pick, you're doomed. Okay. Because Sam Howell also was projected round one pick one the year before. He chose to stay, and that was a stupid decision by him. He ends up going behind a very bad offensive line in North Carolina. What happens? He drops to the fifth round. It doesn't mean the kid can't play. I'm just saying, if he's not ready, roll with Taylor. Wait till he's ready, and then you can play the kid. Because you did, same regime, did draft him as well. So that is all I'm saying. Uh, but we can respectfully disagree here. If Carson came back and played lights out, happy to admit I'm wrong there. The bottom line is that everybody right now in Washington, I'm counting you two, is sure. getting entirely too emotional behind the Carson Wentz thing. And I think the idea that people have seen enough from Carson Wentz when this team was entirely looked different the last time that he took under center. The offensive line looked vastly different. The defense wasn't playing anywhere near as well as it's playing right now. And the, and the run game was non-existent. It's ridiculous. The idea that you gave and you traded all this to go get this guy, the guy that we all said at the beginning of the season, even right now, that we are no, he can throw an NFL ball better than the other guy who as much as we love and we believe in does what? Didn't lead us anywhere last year. And it's got a two and one record against two abysmal teams. Mm -hmm. Green Bay and Indianapolis are train wrecks. And we have a combined with what between the two, we got a, a win of three points. That's the point differential three. 
between two horrifically bad teams and a guy who who hasn't thrown over 300 yards. Like he, okay. So what I'm saying is that like the Carson yeah. Wentz experience right now, to me, is just about what's the makes the most sense for this franchise going forward. You have to kick all the tires on this dude. You have to. I understand where you're coming from. Now my question to you is what is the ceiling with Carson Wentz in this team? What's the ceiling with Taylor? It doesn't matter between No, but hold on. But that's exactly but my point. But that's no, the no, point yes, that I'm making. Does. Hold on. No, it Go doesn't. Ahead. Between them two? What it is doesn't the matter ceiling? between them two. Okay, uh, what is the ceiling with Carson Wentz? That is my question. We'll I don't know. Taylor aside for a moment. I no, don't no, no, know. But, but what do you think it is? I don't know. That's the point. I don't know. You don't think I don't about know. a ceiling at all? I do not know what Carson Wentz's ceiling is. I don't. Okay. Because he okay. didn't have a run. He didn't have a rushing attack. He didn't have an offensive line, and he didn't have a defense. Okay. I don't did. know. Okay. So this front office has to answer that question, right? Yes. I, and so you're thinking if they're going, I don't know. Well, then there is more. How could there. you say you know? I can easily How can say anyone. That. That's what I'm saying. This is why I'm, this is my issue. Is the Commanders fans? You guys high and low all the fucking time. How could you legitimately say? under any circumstances, that you know what the ceiling of Carson Wentz is. I think I place a lot more on the mental side of things than maybe the average fan does. And for me, I don't see the mentality required to play the position that Carson has. I see all the physical tools. I don't see the mental side of things. That's where I'm coming from. And my point is that if you've got a guy that who you can hopefully coach up or do whatever you have to do over the course of the season, if you have a dude who has the tools and didn't have anything else working around him, so the ball was in his hands to try to make something happen, but it changes. Carson, we don't need you to make these throws. We All we need you to do is do enough. We don't need you dropping back 40-something times a game because we have no rushing attack, which is what we were asking of him that to do. That's on Scott Turner. But I get well, we, we Once again, we haven't even gotten the coaching staff, we but I'm not. saying if you're asking a dude to drop back 40-something times a game, with no rushing attack, it's a little different if you're asking to drop back 25 times a game. It's a little bit different if you're asking if you're asking him, oh, you can play off the play action because the rushing attack is there, which but it wasn't early on in the season. This sounds a lot similar to how Dallas did it, which is when Cooper Rush came in, they actually figured out they're better at running. Like I know they yeah, paid a absolutely. lot of money to Dak. Does anyone think Cooper Rush is better than Dak? Okay, so so Prescott? I guess the way I guess the way you're going towards this is okay. Now that we have figured out that we should be running more and stuff like that, assuming that has been figured out because we haven't talked about the coaching staff as you mentioned, then okay. you think Carson, because we don't know the ceiling. This is the assumption you're making. We don't know the ceiling. That let's see how it goes. I'm just doing this more for the audience as well, right? Yeah. Just to say, hey. Now, if we drop him back 25 times instead and we limit those positions of maybe making that mistake and it he is more of the game manager, which is not a bad thing at all. I think a lot of people hear game manager and right. go, that's terrible. Um, I just cited Bailey Zappi. He was effectively a game manager and was doing very, very well for New England. Um, that's where you're coming from. Absolutely. Once again, okay. I've, I've said from the very beginning, it's a business decision. This is a business decision. You have to know what you have with this guy in order to make any make any decision going into next year. Okay. You have to. So so if Taylor does somehow win, and, and to answer your question, what's the ceiling with Taylor? It's not high, and I'm aware of right. that. But my thinking is, if I can't, I feel I know I cannot win a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz. That's the ultimate goal. So if that's the case, right, because that's the question I think that should be asked. Can we win mm -hmm. a Super Bowl with this guy? I Can think you win a Super Bowl with Taylor Heineke? 
No, but that's my point is that we know we can't. So then if we know we can't with him, we know we can't with Carson. And that's my assumption. Then let's look at Sam. And if that doesn't go well, guess what? That's actually kind of a good thing. Taylor that has promotes, a contract that is over that promotes, after this year. Yes. So does Carson. If we Carson, no, so, Carson, there's, there's an option. No, we there. could choose though. Right. So, but that's, but there's a choice that has to be made there. And I'm saying I, that you can't as the coaching I'm staff not saying, know it. I'm not saying that if we play Taylor, we're better off at a Super Bowl. I'm not saying that. I don't all think anybody's saying, yeah. saying, anybody saying it. I don't think either of us saying it. Correct. All I'm saying is that then if you play Sam in a sense, it's a win-win, assuming he's ready. Because if he is ready, he could play really, really well. And hey, pleasant surprise. That's awesome. And if he doesn't, well, then you're losing games and you get a better position towards a guy that maybe can. This is or a QB-heavy class. And like I, they do tons of quarterbacks in this league. We're saying if he's ready. But that's Otherwise, the, you continue the, with Taylor. Here's the point of Sam Howell. And get, everybody needs to get this through, okay? Is he's he never going to be ready? He's right not now, ready he's this not, year. But is he's, he, he's not ready. The entire point be? of – he's not ready. He might I, – I would, I would go of the idea – that what you're doing when you get to a point where you're putting Sam Howell in is to just see if there's anything you can hold on to to say, this is a dude that we can hold on to and we can make potentially make something of him down the road, potentially go give an entire off season to him to see where he can be next year. That's what it is. That will anybody say if the plan is with Sam Howell, which is what, hold on. What do you mean? That's not, that's never been the plan. That won't be the plan making him. So let's say that we continue to roll with Taylor Carson, et cetera. We're not going to go into next year going. Sam's the guy. There will never be that situation where we go. We drafted him so that he could be the starter next year. There's no, no way but I'm saying plan. that you've, you'd have you've, to see something this year. But you, that's my point. So you, you're in a situation where you need to know what your right. quarterback room is like, right? Yes. So we know the ceiling for Taylor Heineke. I we disagree. I don't know the ceiling for Carson Wentz. You think you do? The, I think I do. Yes. Right. Sam Howell, young guy. Everybody that I've seen and talked to behind the everybody behind the scenes is saying he's not quite there. He's not. Pop, he's not quite there. And I agree with that. He doesn't have anything. He's not there. He's not right, there right now. Right. Right. As I've said on this pod, because remember, my thought on this has not changed not once since the beginning of the season. You do not start Sam Howell until you're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. And at that point, you understand and you know that Carson is clearly not the guy. Taylor is clearly not the guy. And we have to see what we have going into next year. If you have a guy in Sam Howell that in the last two weeks of the season throws eight touchdowns and no fucking picks, probably not going to happen. But if he does do that, then you say, we're probably not going to spend a high first round draft pick on a guy right now. Yeah, and he probably wins you a couple games too to make it such that you don't. And that's my thing. That's you, what you have right now is the, with the it, what the Washington Commanders have to do is gain as much information as possible about this roster. We have a lot of good information already. We know what the defense is like. We know where we need moves moves to make on defense. Offensively, we know we need more offensive line that we need probably some more starters on the offensive line. Beyond that, everything else looks pretty good except the quarterback position, right? The right. biggest glaring hole, which will, because we got to go to comment mailbag. But yeah, the, we'll do the, that right now. But the biggest Finish glaring up. thing, which is the coaching staff, has done an absolute piss poor job, which is the other reason why I don't want to have Sam Howell out there, because I don't trust them with anyone right now. I think we both agree. And I think the brutal truth is here that, first off, I want to wait till Sam Howell is ready. But 
now flipping and going to your point, he's a fifth round pick. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm not going to be too heartbroken about it. Right. Right. Exactly. So we'll see what happens there. This is a very enjoyable discussion here. And we will continue. Nobody's going to be on my side on this. And I know that. No, I think some people will be. No, I actually do think some people will be. I'm just saying, and we're both on the same page about when to play Sam Howell in terms of, well, there are two factors to it. You're saying when he's ready and we need to be eliminated. I'm saying when he's ready, period. I don't think because I feel I know. I here's the problem with Sam. You don't know whether or not a guy is ready until he takes the field. Period. Well, then all the talk about him not being That's ready my is point. Just... But, the, but my point is that if you don't look good at all in practice, if you're not looking the way you need to in practice. I think we're over exaggerating. Well, just exaggerating. If you're not, if you don't look the way you need he looks. I'm saying the, sorry, he's not ready. Let's just keep it there. I'm not going to put or anything. He's not ready. The only way, that, so when you hear that, then you know, if you trot that dude out there with the skills and everything that he does have, the more likelihood that it goes bad is pretty fucking high. And you don't want that. You want to put him in the best possible position to succeed. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, so let's get to the comment mailbag. Um, we are going to begin. So we have two episodes worth of comment mailbag to go through. So we're going to quickly burn through these. We're going to begin with the Vikings commanders preview. We're then going to move to Dan Snyder selling the commanders. Okay. Beginning with Viking commanders. We have base Jiren. Shout out base Jiren. Appreciate the comment here. The Vikings are the microcosm of the NFL this year. Everyone is squeaking by middling teams this season, i.e. the Eagles last night against the Texans. After a while, you are what your record says you are, and they are 6-1 and one now, 7-1. and one. Thank you for the comment, Base Jiren. And he's right. I mean, like, at a certain point, you can only play what's in front of you. And yep. what the Vikings have done, now they're 7-1. and one. Now they move forward. Now they're playing Buffalo. Josh Allen maybe has a problem going with his elbow. We're going to see what happens there, but I agree with I, the comments. I think for you, for the way it was for me, I don't think I, I was not trying to trash the Vikings when Paul was on the comment. It was yeah. more, are the Vikings more along the lines of like the 17-0 looking New England Patriots, or are they the 12-1 and Pittsburgh Steelers that came to town and would be? Oh, yeah, of course. And at the Seriously. end of the day, when you're having somebody from the uh, opposing fan base on, you want to rile them up a little bit too. Right. And so that's what we were there to do. Um, now we have... Bishop Don John, shout out. He's commented a few times, or she, or they. Um, For the parade when Snyder officially sells, what's the roll-up and drink of choice for you guys? Ooh, I'm going to have my white peach game rolled and my Jack and Coke poured up. What are you going to have, K-Dot? Depends on what time of year. Um, I'm a fat guy. If we're in a parade, I can't be walking too much. Probably be a Gatorade, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> If it's hot out, yeah, it's probably going to be a Gatorade or big Hydro Flat full of water just so I can keep my bearings. If it's cold, it's the winter, and I can walk for a while, it'll probably be just a coffee. Yeah, or just a coffee. Okay, I would – I mean, I, would, I might I'll probably – somebody would be on the street and hook my coffee up a little bit. Uh, I would have a Lafroy whiskey. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. For that parade, just sitting, sipping on some whiskey. I, I just want to light stuff on fire. Time. Oh, yeah, you'll have plenty of opportunities to do that. Um, and there's one more comment from Bishop Don John. If you had the chance of any of the other 31 teams that the commanders are traveling to for an away game, which one would you go to as far as city and enjoying the weekend up to the game? So that's a question. And which one would you go to based on the in-game atmosphere and potentially acting as in the stands? And Bishop Don John answers with his is Vegas for the city. And Philly for being the asshole. 
what's your answer to that question? Yeah, so it's not, it's just any team, not. So first is city based. Like which city would you like, like to go to as the lead up, gonna... and then the follow up is okay. But for the in game atmosphere, where would you want to go to act like an asshole? I my answer is the same for both. Go ahead, Green Bay. I want to see Lambo. Uh, as you guys know, I got a good friend that's a part owner, so I can't wait to act a fool in that bitch. And I love cheese curds. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think for the city, I've been to Vegas before. I'm actually going to New Orleans uh, for the first time ever. Um, I think otherwise I would have picked it. I've been to Miami. I, I think I would probably pick Miami just for the, just for the uh, weekend. Why not? Enjoy it. I haven't been there before. Um, and then is is uh, is uh the omit from two weekends ago gonna be the omit of miami <laughs> i can't that, here. this is the comment <laughs> yeah probably would this is the common mailbag so who knows i'm just gonna let Amit go and see what he does um and then there is i've already been to philly i've been an asshole when we won the division with kirk cousins i'd go to dallas and be an absolute ass over there a hundred percent it's easy to be an asshole down there fucked up yeah exactly um, so thank you for the comments there, Bishop Don John. Now moving to Money MLV. Shout out Money MLV. Thank you for the comment. My question is, what teams do you have to beat to be considered contenders? Only three teams in the league you would consider contenders, right? Vikings can't decide who they play. All they can do is win the game. So this is very similar to Base Jaren's yep. comment. Um, Vikings earn the right to be where they are right now. Opinions don't matter in the NFL. Your record says what you are. Once again, to echo the sentiments. You have to agree with that right now. They're seven and one. Yeah. And but there are well. only two contenders, <laughs> maybe three. <laughs> like I'm even being serious about it. Philly, Buffalo, Kansas. I don't City. have Philly yet. Jalen Hurst got to do something in the playoffs before I could get kind of considered a contender. Okay. So then it's Buffalo, Kansas City. That's pretty much it. Miami, one of okay. Miami because of the run game, potentially, maybe. And as I said, the Jets. People the sleep Jets on the Jets. Are not contenders. They I'm just sorry. beat Buffalo. Miami, they beat yes. Buffalo. They beat Cleveland. Um, I, I'm, I think they beat what are Cincinnati. You talking about okay. In I'm the comments, right in the comments, boy, can I'm you please talk K dot off the fucking Jets? They got a shutdown corner, defensive line, Robinson, QB. You're right, bro. I'm they telling you right now, like it's not. It's it. Uh, they bro. they beat Miami. Brees Hall's on IR. They beat Miami. They beat Buffalo. They beat Cleveland. Wasn't that the Skylar Thompson, Teddy Bridgewater? I don't Miami? care. Just look at the opponents. You don't They're care. Winning. You cared when we were They're winning. Paul. Uh, anyway. I know, but okay. I'm changing okay. the argument okay. to fit okay. mine. Yeah. Okay, cool. I just needed you to say that. <laughs> uh, now we move to Kalon Meekins. Uh, shout out Kalon. I think back to back there. Um, comments. You can't double anywhere against Washington unless they plan on running a single high safety. Look, I think Scott calls a career game against them. Oh boy. Antonio Gibson eats and tight end over the middle will be paramount. Curtis or AG will have a huge game. Maintain balance. I'm worried about Cook though. This is the beauty of being a fan is that in this situation, sometimes it makes sense in your head, but then what actually plays out is totally different because Dalvin Cook, we talked about him in the preview episode. Could he be a problem? 2.8 yards of carry. Not really a problem. Nice catch in the end zone. Nice catch in the end zone on Kirk. Right, right, so the Aaron Jones catch. Yeah, actually. Yeah. What is it about Hennessy North running backs in our end zone that just do it? Um, but then Scott in no way calls a career game as an offensive coordinator. If anything, more questions about him. Um, I don't know. What were your Scott thoughts? Scott Turner needs to relieve himself from playing uh, from play calling. 
Okay, well, he just signed an extension, so good luck with that. I, was, no, I, I think here's I the thing. I think agree. his scheme is not terrible. He does do a good job of getting guys open. It's just he has no situational awareness for game flow at all. In the interest of time, we're just going to continue. I will agree with that. Uh, Nick has two comments. Shout out, Nick. One, does Paul have a YouTube channel? As far as I know, he does not, but I will let him know that you enjoyed the content. That is the assumption I'm making. The second one, racist tweets, question mark. Do you have any idea what he's referring to there? He's referring to, I dropped a couple uh, subliminals about Taylor Heineke and some of the problematic tweets he had about uh, Black Lives Matter a few years ago. Right, 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 right. But it's all good. Tory Smith, Virginia boy, great guy, uh, went down, talked to him, got everything kind of cleared up. Taylor just didn't know a lot about the situation, but apparently has learned. Yeah. Hey, that's all you can do as a human being is do your best and grow if you can. Um, or get Chris's canceled. place or, or get canceled. <laughs> Those are your options. Um, I know Taylor Heineke has an ax to grind versus his former team, but don't forget Captain Kirk as well versus his former team. Should be a great game. KJ Osborne is the guy, in my opinion, to shine in this matchup at DC. We talk about being a fan, making sense in your head. KJ Osborne. Zero catches on the day, but we do appreciate the comment there, Chris's place. And yeah, both both QBs had a bit of an axe to grind. Um, I don't know about Heineke having an axe to grind necessarily with Minnesota. Like they gave him an opportunity, and I, I don't think he like dislikes them. Yeah, how many teams anyway. did he play for? They got axed to grind for right. <laughs> uh, but but I get it from like the narrative perspective, it's pretty fun. Um, so anyway, appreciate the uh comment there, Chris's place. Moving on to Nelson Wolf, who is a subscriber to the channel appreciate it and uh and a longtime commenter shout out nelson love the analysis and respect to paul for taking on longtime relentless kirk cousins hater amit that's me that's true as a vikings fan i'm worried about this one and think it's a great test of whether we're for real i don't think we even figured that out but seven to one you are what your record says you are and that's what matters um we've never seen them we've never seemed to play well at fedex excuse me despite our fan base traveling well and i also think it'll go down to the wire. Hoping Fox noon or 1 p.m. Eastern time. Kirk can work his magic. Should be a great game. Hashtag players only. Also, maybe I'm a homer, but disagree with the Russ Kirk comparisons. Kirk seems to be self-aware and plays into his corniness, at least at this point in his career, and is liked and respected by his teammates in a way Russ does not seem to be. I think you see him on the airplane after. My point of it is that Russ can't do that because he's black. He can't lean into it. I would agree with your point there. I would agree there. Uh, but Nelson, shout out for the comment. Appreciate you. Appreciate your point. And I also appreciate KDOT's point there. Um, now on to Pally for life. As far as practice stories go, Jimmy Butler beating starters with water boys is a distant second to Latrell Sprewell choke slamming PJ Carlissimo. I forgot about that. After Carlissimo asked him to quote, put more mustard on his passes. <laughs> On the subject of badasses, give me your top three Snyder era Washington players you'd want with you in a foxhole. Monsieur X. Sean Taylor, Chris Samuels, and Chris Cooley. I agree with Sean Taylor. I agree with Chris Samuels. I'm not putting Chris Cooley in the foxhole. Um, I need some entertainment. Oh, if you're looking at it that way, then probably. He's loyal and entertaining. And the thing is, he's a scrappy dude. I would put RG3 in the foxhole with me so that he cannot become a minority owner of this team because he's that plan is idiotic at best. Um, so, yeah, I'm taking RG3 right, in there you, just to make want, sure. I, so this is, uh, on the back of the Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson thing, RG3 is a tweet away from being Russell Wilson. 
I, I agree. By the way, I completely agree. Um, no subject to badasses, though. No, Mike Sellers. Give me Mike Sellers. I love Mike Sellers. Ooh. Yeah. I modeled my entire facial hair for years over Mike Sellers. Yeah, I'm taking Mike Sellers. That's um, a good choice. That's a great okay. choice. So, boom. There I'd we go. I replaced Chris Cooley with Mike Sellers. We, so right. we got back on the same page. See, that's what we do no, here at District no, Divided. Um, right. Then we got Sophia Rang. Um, Kirk will go off at Washington. I think he had a decent game. I don't know that he went off, fine. but I appreciate the comment. Yeah, it was fine. Um, it was honestly what I thought it would be. They only got 20 points. It, and it, it, it you take required... away the stats from that first drive. <laughs> what are you left it's with? Just... Boom, so, boom, 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 exactly. Boom. Anyway, and then finally, Tony. All right. Tony. Uh, they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. Playoffs. Playoffs? Are you kidding me? Seriously, though, this is a culmination of roster construction, especially O-line. Poor play calling. Fire Scott Turner. There you go. Bad clock management, including the challenge flag and a backup quarterback. I love Heineke, but he gives me Kirk Cousins vibes. That's an interesting one. If we had more time, we would maybe uh, dive into that. Not lastly, not enough. If that's all it is, then that, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, lastly, on the postgame show with Fred Smoot, the other host said Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was here last year, said Scott Turner's offense is plays he likes to run. No mention of finding mismatches or making adjustments. Just plays he likes to run this emoji. We've talked about that before. There's no adjustment there. We have we were worried about Del Rio. Guess what Justin Jefferson does? 115 yards and a touch. This coaching staff that we have not really touched on. Very, very Scott, stubborn. Be the ways. offensive guru. You have to relinquish play calling. It's the only way your system's gonna work. Well, once again, I agree. We're we're finding we're finding some uh, agreement here in the comment mailbag. Um, going to the Dan Snyder video real quick. Uh, none that he's saying. Shout out my sister. Uh, Lala Kadot's reaction to Dunkel, lest we forget Snain, SMH. Okay, so there was one time it was snowing, it was raining. I was very, very quickly coming up with a combined words. I didn't think sleet at all, and I just said Snain. And she has never, ever forgotten that and roasted me accordingly. It was a moment of weakness. Um, I'm not even going to ask for your comment there. Moving on to Blood Clot. Shout out Blood Clot with two different comments. Uh, one of them is a book. Uh, so it begins, Yacht Bitch, Dunkel. I have to say, every time we get another yummy little morsel of information leading to a Snyder exit, it's like another episode of House of Dragons. It's like winning another game during the week. I agree with KDOT that it really does look like Snyder will lose this team within a year. But unlike Charlie Brown, the Washington fan within me walks up to the football with hesitation. He's like the cockroach that crawls out the rubble after a nuclear bomb. He's Michael Myers after he's been shot five times and falls out the second story window. But things do seem to point to one billionaire with the cheddar to make it happen. A couple of weeks ago, you saw Bezos and Goodell chumming it up on Thursday Night Football. Everyone knows how badly Bezos wants to be a part of the club. And before anyone says he'll move the team, he owns the Washington Post. He bought a mansion in D.C. in 2020. D.C. is where he can mingle with the power people of the nation. He's not going anywhere. Then some people said Elon Musk. Musk. He just bought Twitter for $40 billion, 40 plus billion, and his buyer's remorse. He's not going to spend another $10 billion on a sport he has no interest in. Yes, I believe that's the final sale price, $10 billion sort of in line of with what we're thinking. And I think like Giselle is to Tom, Tanya is pushing Snyder to sell the team. She wants to have fun and travel on their yacht, not get booed by 99% of the fans. P.S. 
this is just one comment here. Didn't Adam Schefter get some heat for being in Dan's emails during the internal investigation? Something about him asking for asking Dan for approval on an article before he released it. I believe that was to Bruce Allen. Yep. Uh, so his reporting is also to be taken with a grain of salt when concerning Dan Snyder and who's dumb enough to be minority owner. RG3. He's actively trying. That's like the stupid piece of paper Packers fans have. <laughs> Shout out, Brendan. That's an all time comment. That is an amazing timer. Yeah. Blood clot. We love you for that. That was, yeah, was awesome. awesome. And he's got, he's got one more for the next game versus the Vikings. We know Kirk cousins. He's not good with pressure in the pocket. We found that to be true with Allen and Payne. And we know if he screws up, he crumbles on the sidelines. If you can get into cousins head, he will not be able to recover. We need to apply pressure and we need our secondary to perform it. Fuller. What is happening with that guy? He's like the weakest corner. He was supposed to be our best corner. I actually think he had a half-decent game. There were a couple plays he made. But yeah, overall in the season, not been good. Fuller is... Sometimes they say the best thing about corners is like not hear your name called because it usually means that night is happening on your side of the field. Yeah. Fuller is... His name doesn't get called much for good or for bad. But he's always somewhere in the pitcher not necessarily doing something good. Yeah. Just agree there. Uh, Tony... Shout out, Tony. Thanks for chopping the podcast into segments slash chapters. It doesn't go unnoticed. Two things. One, Jamin Davis is playing a lot better. Two, nobody's acknowledged that AG Gibby hasn't done the F word yet. Don't say it so we don't jinx it. In that regard, Antonio Gibson has been fantastic not doing the F word that Tony is referring to. And may that continue. I'm with you there, 100%. All right, on to vaccinated anti-vaxxers. Snyder said he will never sell the... This is such a long comment, Mailbag. We love you all. Uh, Snyder said he will never sell the Washington Redskins. He never said he won't sell the Washington Commanders. Technically, that is true. I love that. I think his love for the old days has been fading. Sports fans love a team because of team identity. Team identity is location, name, uniforms, history, color, traditions. When a team changes any one of those, it loses some of its identity. How many Baltimore Colts fans remain loyal when the team moved? Or what if an iconic team like the Yankees changed their name, like the Wizards from the Bullets to the Wizards? The biggest factor is probably his drama with the other NFL owners, all the decades of hate from fans, decline of number of fans, losing seasons, blame for failure, controversy after controversy. I think it just activated something. Um, it's only now he shows signs of ready to move on. It's vaccinated anti-vaxxer. What do you think there? I disagree with a lot of the fundamentals on that. Really? I, I get what you're saying overall, but like the Baltimore Colts situation, you had a guy move the team in the middle of the night and left an entire, I live six blocks away from where the old stadium used to be. Mm-hmm. It's just now, just now he's starting to be revitalized. It killed everything in that area. It wasn't just that he lost a football team. It was that you had a stadium in a neighborhood that you ended up killing by leaving it, by moving it. But the overall thing more than any other thing, winning cures all. The fact that the Ravens showed up and in 2000 had this world-beating team and won a Super Bowl has the one of the loyalist fan bases in the country. Winning cures everything. If we go on a Super Bowl run, I don't give a fuck what team is called. We are all going to hop back on board. I agree with that. And then Johnny Otto, shout out Johnny, who's commented on multiple videos. I noticed Ridgeway making plays and eating up space. He's playing the Mathis role. He was a steal off Dallas. If only we knew that he would have the personal foul that would end up costing us this opportunity to have a win and have Heineke have the ball with under two minutes. Maybe it's a totally different episode, right? Maybe Heineke's 3-0 as a starter. You just never know. 
Uh, but shout out for the comment, Johnny. You never know. Hey, you said I don't know this whole time. Anyway, we're not getting into that. Uh, then we get to Pally for Life. I feel like whatever street cred Amit earned from screaming Get Buck lyrics in Rock Creek has been negated by the Dunkle debacle. It almost sounds like a euphemism for some depraved slash obscene act performed between two consenting adults in international waters. As a corollary, what act bonafide or theoretical would you associate with Dunkle? P.S. Get after Kirk and rattle him, Monsieur X. I'm going to take a moment to shout myself out for reading all these comments <laughs> and only maybe messing up one. Uh, can I say what I think Dunkle would be? Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to say incest-based role play involving Dunkaroos and Analingus. It's like you take the little stick, you smear it. <laughs> no, no, no. That wasn't permission to continue. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Fuck mine. Um, and then Nelson Wolf. I guess I got Final... a stick I can dunk into this. Yeah. Final yeah. comment. I hope to get the street cred back at some point, Valley for Life. But appreciate the comment. And then Snane. Nelson Wolf. Back to back. Oh. Snane. Snane. Nelson says <laughs> a socioeconomic oh, look, episode my would just be gave incredible. Me. <laughs> Love all the non-sports stuff you guys do, as well as the sports. Shout out, Nelson. Appreciate it. I've got a snane on my dunkle. Mm. You know what? There's going to be no after the pod today because I'm snaining my dunkle. Partly because uh, we ran out of time, yeah. but also Kados is being incredibly toxic right now, and I cannot do mm. one right now. So this is just divided a DC Sports podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love it. That is my dunkle. Kill a piece of snake, just like I'm doing. We're here twice a week, Monday after Friday's 2 p.m. So until Friday, we will see you guys later, and hopefully we'll have it after the pod at that time. Love you all. Snake on my dunkle.